Hi. So, uh, our family got hit with the flu this week, but I'm here. I thought maybe we would start uh, with prayer. I want to remind us of uh, the question we're asking ourselves through Lent. Uh, what does God want to unlock within us? Um, so let's take a moment of prayer. God, we want to invite you to wake us up to your presence this morning, your presence within us and all around us. And I pray, God, that you would wake us up more and more to who you created us to be. And God, would you reveal to us more and more what it is you are unlocking within us, what is unfolding within us, uh, what is emerging, what are you forming. God, I pray you'd make us very open to that. And this morning as we open the text, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand that we might turn more and more towards you and experience more of your healing presence in our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, uh, we're in Matthew 21 this morning. And last week, it was last week we looked at Jesus riding in on a donkey, right? That was last week, right? Okay. Uh, so we talked about um, there's two ways to ride into a city. Uh, on a donkey or on a war horse, that the messianic expectations in Jesus' time were such that they were expecting a military messiah. They were longing for a messiah to come and drive out the Roman oppressors. And rather than riding in on a war horse like uh, Judas Maccabees 200 years earlier, Jesus rides in on a donkey, fulfilling this prophecy from Zechariah. And... Um, to the shouts of Hosanna, which means save, save. And uh, then his, his next action is, is quite interesting. It says in verse 12, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Uh, there is a whole lot uh, within these two verses. We're, um, we're going to go through verse 22 today, but I want to dig into these two verses for a little bit with you because they are jam-packed. Uh, so Jesus has just ridden in on a donkey to, to show the way of love, the way of grace, the way of humility. Uh, then he goes up into the temple and starts flipping tables. So which Jesus are we dealing with here? Uh, Jesus on a donkey or Jesus who flips tables? Uh, so he overturns the tables of the money changers and those uh, selling doves. So a little historical context, I think, is important for us to understand what's going on here. Um, it's Passover time. And Jerusalem uh, is just crowded 
with pilgrims, Jewish pilgrims from all over Israel and even beyond Israel, those uh, still part of the diaspora from the Babylonian exile. They are converging on Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, to celebrate their freedom from oppression when they were slaves in Egypt. And so Jerusalem is jam-packed full of people, and many of them uh, have come because they also want to offer sacrifice at the temple. And if the, here's the thing that had happened with the Jewish religious leaders at the temple. If people brought their own animal, uh, they weren't allowed to sacrifice that because you, you were only allowed to sacrifice animals that had gone through a process of Jewish priests who had already uh, looked at those animals and said, yeah, they're clean, they're good enough to be sacrificed. And so if you brought your own animal uh, and, and you've traveled a long way, you have, you have saved for a long time to be able to make this pilgrimage. And, and you arrive there and you realize, I can't sacrifice my own animal. I, I have to try to sell this and then buy another animal. Here's the problem with that. If they sell it... The, the money being used on the street is different than the temple money. That's why there are money exchangers up there. And so then they had to exchange their money with the money changers at the temple who would rob them in the exchange. Uh, And then the price on the temple animals was jacked up. And so it's very likely then that they no longer had enough money to buy an animal to sacrifice. Uh, do you see why Jesus might be upset about this? Uh, And so um, Jesus overturned some tables. And then he says, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. Uh, Jesus is using a Jewish rabbinic uh, technique here called a remez. A remez is when you take a a, uh, phrase from a text and use it uh, to convey what you want to say. And so what Jesus is saying is a whole lot bigger than just my house will be called a house of prayer, you've made it a den of robbers. He's taking a phrase, my house shall be called a house of prayer, from Isaiah 56. And you've made it a den of robbers from Jeremiah chapter 7. So for us to understand what Jesus is saying here, we need to look at those texts. Sound good? So... I'm going to turn to Isaiah 56. If you want to follow along in the Bibles, uh, you may. Can someone, I don't have one of those Bibles. Can someone just shout out the page number uh, of Isaiah 56? 602? Okay. So, Isaiah 56, the prophet Isaiah speaking on behalf of Yahweh, the God of Israel. This is what the Lord or Yahweh says. Maintain justice and do what is right. For my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the one who does this, the person who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it and keeps their hands from doing any evil. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them 
I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants and all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. There will be burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for what? All nations. Uh, here's the thing. The Jewish people had, had set up a system at the temple. There was what was called the inner sanctuary, the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest was allowed in there once a year, Day of Atonement. Uh, then there was the rest of the temple, and you could come and offer sacrifices. But here's the thing. Those who could come and offer sacrifices, Jewish males only. Uh, then there was the court of the women. And if you were a Jewish women, woman, you could get into the court of women. Then there was the outer court, the court of the Gentiles. If you were a foreigner, you were allowed that far, but no further. What does Jesus say? My house shall be called a house of prayer. He's quoting Isaiah. What does Isaiah say? My house shall be called a house of prayer for who? For all nations. Foreigners, you're welcome here. Your sacrifices will be pleasing to me on my altar. Uh, do we begin to have a little sense why Jesus is so upset when he enters the temple courts? They aren't allowing foreigners to come and worship God. They're excluding. Jesus is inviting a gospel of inclusion. Everyone's welcome. Doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what your background is, everyone is welcome here. And Jesus is a little upset because they have excluded rather than included. Uh, you've made it a den of robbers. This comes from Jeremiah 7. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a rather lengthy chunk of Jeremiah 7. Um, Hey, someone got a page number for that? Isaiah, uh, then Jeremiah. 620. So Jeremiah 7, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim the message. Now this, is, uh, this takes place when the first Jewish temple was still standing, before Babylon destroyed the first Jewish temple. Jesus in Matthew 21 is uh, in the courts of the second Jewish temple. And so Jeremiah is proclaiming this word uh, before the first Jewish temple was destroyed. And he says this, Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah, who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says, Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Do not, so he's talking to the religious leaders of the day who actually live there at the temple. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, 
Then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal, and follow other gods you have not known? And then come to me and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we are safe, safe to do these detestable things. So the, the religious leaders felt they were safe because they had their status, they had their position, they had the power. And so they're safe. And Jeremiah is saying, you're not safe. You're abusing power. And I am speaking on behalf of God to let you know. Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? So there's the term Jesus uses. But I have been watching, declares the Lord. Go now to the place in Shiloh where I first made a dwelling for my name and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. Shiloh was where the tabernacle was set up before the temple was ever built. The tabernacle is where the people worshipped God. Uh, Shiloh was destroyed by the Philistines because those religious leaders in their time Uh, were not following the ways of God either. While you were doing all these things, declares the Lord, I spoke to you again and again, but you did not listen. I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, what I did to Shiloh, I will now do to the house that bears my name, the temple you trust in, the place I gave to you and your ancestors. I will thrust you from my presence, as I did all your fellow Israelites, the people of Ephraim. So, These are fun words. Uh, um, Israel has a history of their religious leaders uh, enjoying their position, their power, their prestige, and not caring for the weak, the poor, the foreigner, the oppressed. Uh, they, They have a history of enjoying having their place and their wealth and keeping people they don't want in, out. Uh, Ezekiel 34, we won't look at that, uh, but almost that entire chapter talks about how the shepherds of Israel, the religious leaders of Israel, have not cared for the sheep. And so God says, I will send a true shepherd, which we find fulfilled in Jesus, who comes in John 10 and says, I am the true shepherd. Uh, these people in power have a history of excluding rather than including. And Jesus comes and says, it's happened again. Even though Israel was being oppressed by Rome, the religious leaders of the day had become friendly with Rome so that they could keep their position of power over the temple. And Jeremiah says, uh, I will now do to the house that bears my name, the temple you trust in, the place I gave to you. So they, they have put their trust in the temple and their place in the temple rather than in God. God had given them the temple as a gift. The temple was a symbol of where heaven and earth converge. The temple was a symbol of where people could come to meet with God. And when Jesus comes, Jesus comes to bring heaven 
to earth and show that there is a whole different way of meeting with God. And in John 4, Jesus is very clear that the true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth, not on this mountain or on that mountain, but in spirit and in truth. And so that time has come in Jesus. And Jesus arrives at the temple and sees what is going on there in Matthew 21. And he says, don't forget what happened in Shiloh. Don't forget what happened in Jeremiah's day. Don't forget the prophecy of Jeremiah. You are not safe in this place. Don't trust in your position. Don't trust in your power. Don't trust in your prestige. Don't trust in your money. Trust in the Lord your God. Because the time of your position and power in this temple has come to an end. Uh, Can you imagine how the religious leaders felt when they heard Jesus say this? Do they like him and want him to be king, or do they want to kill him? Uh, Can you see why Jesus is getting closer and closer to his death? Why they are more and more eager to nail this man to a cross? Um, Remember uh, the people um, shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna. The son of who? David. Son of David. So this is interesting. Uh, Larry, I'm really sorry, but I need to see the clock behind you there. Thanks, pal. This is really interesting. They call him the son of David. Uh, And David, the king that all of Israel loved, is the great king, and they can't wait for one to come like David. Uh, David was a military king. Uh, And when he arrived in Israel, he arrived in a different fashion. I want to read this to you, Um, 2 Samuel 5. It says, The king, David, and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there. The Jebusites said to David, You will not get in here. Even the blind and lame can ward you off. So they, they had uh, Jerusalem so well guarded and such a great fortress that they're like, even the blind and lame can ward you off, pal. You can't get in here. They thought, David cannot get in here. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, which is the city of David. On that day, David had said, anyone who conquers the Jebusites will have to use the water shaft to reach those lame and blind who are David's enemies. And so they they found a way into the city through the water shaft. That's how they conquered Jerusalem. This is why they say the blind and lame will not enter. Okay, so David doesn't like the blind and lame because of what the Jebusites say. And so they say the blind and lame will not enter the palace. So uh, notice the very next line in Matthew 21. my house called a house of prayer, but you are making a den of robbers. The blind and lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. Now, isn't that interesting? Uh, they call him the son of David, but David entered Jerusalem on a war horse. Jesus entered on a donkey. David kept the blind and lame out. What does Jesus do? He heals them. He restores them to the place says, you're welcome. This is a house of prayer for who? For all. 
Uh, there were all kinds of rules and regulations uh, around who was allowed to enter the temple if you had any type of deformity or, or uh, disease or anything like that. You weren't allowed near the temple. Uh, Jesus overturns the tables, says this is a house of prayer for everyone, and the blind and lame come to Jesus, and he heals them. Uh, this is a great reversal. Jesus is bringing about a great reversal. He's ushering in a kingdom of shalom. He's ushering in a way of being in the world that is fully human. He's ushering in a way of being in the world that welcomes everyone. Uh, he invites us to live in this way, to be fully human, and to invite others to be fully human. This fully human one, Jesus, and fully divine one, Jesus, is the one who will be treated completely inhumanely by the chief priests, the religious leaders, and Rome. The blind and lame came to him, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him? Uh, they, they, they don't get it. They, they are so addicted to their power and their position and to their rightness that they can't celebrate these healings taking place right before their eyes. Instead, they're indignant, they're angry. Uh, do you hear what these children are saying? And then it, Jesus, as if he hasn't insulted them enough, gives another little jab. Yes, he replied, have you never read? Now, he's talking to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They've read it. Okay? Have you never read? From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately, the tree withered. Okay, now, which Jesus are we dealing with again here? Uh, for tree lovers like myself, this is a little offensive. Um, the tree serves as a giant metaphor for the religious people of Jesus' day who are not bearing fruit. They aren't being the shepherds of Israel. They're not bearing fruit. They're, they're not doing what God has called them to do. They're not doing what, what they were created for. Instead, they're, they're living into a way uh, of self-preservation, uh, trying to keep things the way they are uh, to be safe, rather than truly risking living into who God created them to be. And they're not bearing fruit. Uh, when the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Now, this is a, a text that's often uh, 
talked about to teach on faith and the, the power of faith and the power of prayer, and I, I think that's all right and fine and good. Uh, uh, but if we understand the context of everything that's just happened, Jesus overturning the tables, my house will be called a house of prayer, uh, you've made it a den of robbers, um, the fig tree. When Jesus says, you can also say to this mountain, what mountain do you think he's pointing at? I think he's pointing at the Temple Mountain. You can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. Uh, Jesus is prophesying the demise of the religious elite. He is saying, this mountain, the one on which the Temple Mount stands and the temple on top of the Temple Mount, You can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. Jesus, here and elsewhere, prophesies that the days of what takes place here is over. And the days of worshiping in spirit and in truth are among us. Uh, It wasn't long after Jesus said these words, uh, the year 70, that Rome came and utterly destroyed the temple. And we never hear of the Sadducees again after that. They're gone. We hear of uh, different schools of Pharisees, but not the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the main uh, uh, part of Judaism that ran the temple. And so when Jesus says, you can say to this mountain, go and throw yourself into the sea, he's talking about abuse of power. He's talking about those who are in power who abuse their power. He's saying, it will pass. This too shall pass. Have faith. Live the way you were created to live. Don't get all worked up about the things that you feel are unjust, unrighteous, uh, abuse of power. Doesn't mean you don't act. Doesn't mean you don't do things to try to bring about reform and change. You do all those things, but this too shall pass. Powers have come and powers have go, and those who abuse power always end up falling and leaving. And Jesus says, you can say to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. Uh, The religious leaders for years and years and years had abused their power. For years and years and years had had gotten wealthy off the backs of the poor. They're, they're They're exchanging money and selling things in the temple that the poor, they just simply want to come and worship God. And they can't worship God in the temple because they're too poor. Uh, foreigners, they simply want to come and worship God. And they can't come and worship God simply because they're foreigners. The lame, they simply want to come and worship God. And they can't worship God in the temple 
because they're cripples. And Jesus says, enough. Enough. And he comes to bring about a great reversal where everyone is included. Uh, The religious leaders did not like Isaiah 56 very much because it talked about how God would give a name to foreigners greater even than the name of the Jewish people. Uh, They could not wrap their head. Like, how could our God say that? How is that even possible? Uh, Is a God of inclusion, not exclusion. Um, When we come and partake of the bread and the cup, it's a God who invites everyone to come. Everyone is included. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what your background is. Uh, I love that last song we sang. As far as the east is from the west is as far as he has removed our transgressions from us. There, There is nothing that separates us from God. There's nothing you've done that can separate us from the love of Christ. It is so vast and so wide and so beyond our imagination. We can't even begin to understand the vastness of this love that invites us in. It's an inclusive, all-embracing love. The creator God of the universe, the, the one who set this whole thing in motion, uh, I was talking with my son yesterday, and we were talking about the world and, and the universe and uh, not being able to understand how massive it is and, and how the universe keeps expanding. Uh, and I said that, that I think the universe keeps expanding, son, because that's God's love. God's love just keeps expanding. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and it can't stop. God can't stop it. It's just expanding and expanding. It's so massive, we could never, ever, ever comprehend it. Uh, This is God's love for us, and he invites us into this way of being in the world, and and God simply wants to invite us to wake up to that love, that love that's already planted within us from the beginning of time. Uh, we were created in love. We were shaped in love. We were formed in love. We are being renewed and restored in love. Uh, this is the God of love, the God of the universe. And so uh, it, it is love that held Jesus to the cross. Um, I really don't think it was our sin that held him there. I don't think it was nails that held him there. I think it was his love that held him there. Out of great, great love, uh, Christ, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We, we couldn't do anything to prove that we earned it, because we didn't. It was simply gift sheer gift, uh, the gift of love, and Jesus invites us to wake up to living in that love. Uh, This morning as you come and 
take the bread and dip it in the cup. Uh, my prayer is that all of us will, will wake up more and more to that love, wake up more and more to who God created us to be, uh, wake up more and more to the, the vastness of God's love within us and all around us and, and the invitation from God to live in that love and to share that love with the world. God, thank you for allowing us to be together this morning and explore this text. And God, thank you for your love that just seems to keep growing and expanding. Thank you for the knowledge that you are love. You created us in love formed us in love, and you are remaking us in love. God, make us a people of love, a people of hope and grace and forgiveness. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.